You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Jeff and I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. Whether you're with us here in person, whether you're watching us online or in the Cross Point Center, we are so grateful that you have trusted us with your time today. And we look forward to what God's going to teach us as we continue in our series called Who's That, which is an opportunity for us to look at some people in the Bible that are maybe a little bit lesser known uh, to us and see how God uh, has given them influence in our lives and, and what he wants us to learn from them, even in kind of the minute details of scripture. And today we are going to uh, be looking at a man uh, on Father's Day. We're going to see what God has to teach us in that. And, and as you guys know, this time of the year, um, in your inboxes, maybe you start getting some notifications about all those gifts that, that are so important for us as dads. You start getting those indications, notifications, and you just look through and you're like, man, that's so much stuff that they're trying to get me to buy. And they've done some research to figure out what the top gifts are, the categories that, that men want on Father's Day. Uh, the first category that is kind of the, the big ticket item is entertainment. And so some of you guys, maybe this, this go around, uh, you guys are getting the new, the new TV that you've been looking forward to all year. And, and you know, today, this afternoon, you're going to go through and you're going to put that thing on the wall or whatever the case may be, you know, the 60-inch the LED flat screen TV. And then also they had on there this, this thing. I'm not sure who picked this one, but it was a GPS. GPS, guys. GPS. <laughs> we don't need directions. We can get where we need to get just because we're men, right? We know how to get where we're supposed to go. The second big category is clothing, and, and people are out there buying clothes, all kinds of new and expensive clothes, but we really know, guys, the one industry that is really built on Father's Day is ties. Ties. That is the, that's where everybody gets their new tie on Father's Day. I can remember whenever uh, Isaiah was little, he made me and my dad paper ties. And so we got to wear those to church on a, on a Sunday morning. You also know of gift cards. Gift cards, because sometimes we just don't know what to get dads. And we just say, okay, we'll just get them a, a gift card for something. But you know the big one that everybody really wants is the ones to the steakhouses. Maybe, maybe a steakhouse or the new thing, the steak delivery companies that will bring the steaks to your house in the, in the, in the freezer, freezer boxes and you can be able to enjoy those together. Fourth one was home improvement and gardening. Like, so maybe you're getting your new lawnmower this year. Maybe you're getting a new chainsaw. But what I realize about this is that Father's Day, they just want to promote more work, right? <laughs> well, buy you something to do more work out in the yard. And the last one category was sporting goods. So maybe for you, it's a, a new set of golf clubs, a new set of irons or a putter, or maybe for some of you, it's a new boat. You know, maybe you're like, oh, sweet. This is going to be the year that our kids, maybe your kids are grown and you said, maybe they can pitch in and they can buy me a new boat. But all I think about, maybe not. <laughs> uh, a canoe maybe for some of you guys. But I look at that in the last two, it's like work and more work, right? So like we pick how much work we want to do, but men, in reality, you know that any, above any of these gifts, above any of these gifts that we could ever get on Father's Day, the real gift, the greatest gift is fatherhood itself, isn't it? It's the opportunity to be called dad by a group of kids or by a child and to know 
that you have a significant influence in their lives. Guys, can you remember the time when you heard those words? You're going to be a daddy. In that moment, you had two almost equally significant feelings in your heart, one of great joy and exuberation and one of like great, oh man, I'm going to be a dad. I have this responsibility of caring for these children and helping them see uh, the reality of life. There's at the same exact moment, no greater joy and no heavier feeling in the world. And I know that today fatherhood is under attack. And so this morning we want to encourage and challenge you as dads and as men, how to see how God's word gives us hope, how it gives us help so that we can leave a lasting legacy of life. Because we, we know that fatherhood is a gift. And at the same time, we want to give that same kind of gift of lasting legacy and life to our kids. But we're going to see in the passage today that this message isn't just for dads. It's not just for men. It's for all of us. Moms, those of you who are going to be dads in the future, your young people, today is a message that you can think on and meditate and grow in yourselves as you prepare for life. So I want you guys to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43 is where we're going to be today. And while this passage that we're turning to is primarily about the power and the compassion of Jesus as the Son of God, there's a significant application for us here today. And so today we're going to look at four truths from this passage that we can glean from this dad so that we can learn how to have that lasting legacy of life in the lives of our family. So we're going to read the text together, and then we will jump in. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. The scriptures will be on the screen if you uh, don't have a copy of scripture with you. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Jump down to verse 35. While he was still speaking, that is Jesus, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us 
for us to learn and grow and to become more like Christ. I pray that you'd speak to us now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we begin our time, what is the first thing that we can learn about leaving a lasting legacy of life from this dad? The first thing we can learn is this. To leave a lasting legacy of life, we must come to Jesus in humility. We must come to Jesus in humility. Notice what the writer says in verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Right off the bat in this passage, we learn something significant about this man named Jairus. He was a ruler in the synagogue. This man was well-respected in his community. He was a well-respected leader in the Jewish community. As a ruler of the synagogue, a little bit of information for us is that he was basically in charge of overseeing all of the aspects of the synagogue activities. He was in charge of bringing in the teachers and the readers, examining what they were going to say and making sure that it was appropriate. He was responsible for the finances and the structures and the, and the edifice of the, of the uh, synagogue. But not only that, he was responsible for representing the Jewish community to the outside world. So for all intents and purposes, the synagogue ruler is the face of Judaism in that community. So whenever we see him coming to ask for help, we notice something very significant. And let's face it, guys, asking for help is not typically in the wheelhouse of masculinity, is it? When we think of guys that ask for help, we say, oh, man, he just can't do it. He just can't shoulder the load on his own. He needs somebody to come in and help him. But for this man, it was more than just atypical. It was not easy for Jairus to come and ask publicly in a public place where people could watch him, he came to ask Jesus for help because you see the religious leaders were already beginning to become angry with Jesus. They were already beginning to be in opposition to him. So this would certainly not be something that would be met with their approval, but, but Jairus was desperate. He was desperate and he would rather lose his friends if it meant saving his beloved daughter. And we know from Luke's account that this was his only little girl. You see, before he was a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus was just a dad. He was just a dad who wanted his daughter to live. He wanted his daughter to have life. And I can't imagine that any of you here today who are dads wouldn't want the same thing for their kids, wouldn't want the same thing for their daughters. None of us wants our kids to have the worst. And we notice what he did. It's something important for us because as we see him as a ruler of the synagogue, he could have sent one of his servants to go get Jesus. He could have said, servant A, go get Jesus, but he didn't. He didn't send a servant. He didn't send his wife. He went to Jesus himself on behalf of his daughter. And we don't know how long this little girl had been sick. We don't know what other avenues he had tried for help. What we do know is this. There was a point in his life that he recognized there was only one hope for his little girl, and it was Jesus. You see, in coming to Jesus, Jairus risked everything. He risked his name, he risked his position, but none of those things mattered. Because in that moment, he was more concerned about what he could lose if he didn't go to Jesus. See, though Jairus was a knowledgeable man, he knew where to go and his ability ran out. And where does he go? He falls at Jesus's feet. He bows the knee to Jesus. Maybe he bowed in submission saying, you are greater than I am and I submit my life to you. 
We certainly, he bowed in petition, asking him to do something that Jairus himself could not do. But in either case, we see that Jairus recognized his helplessness and his need. And this man presses against everything our world tells us that men should be. In a, in a world that tells us that manliness and masculinity is not weakness, that it is not brokenness, that it is not inability, that it is not insufficiency, tells us the opposite of those things, that we should be able to carry the world on our shoulders. But what we see here is a man who recognized his inability, recognized that he couldn't do it on his own. And men, whether we want to admit it or not, we are not as able as we think we are. The quicker we come to the realization that Jairus did, that we need help, the quicker our families will be strengthened. The quicker our world will see God's work in us. And for us to see this, we understand that the first step for us men is laying down our pride and embracing humility. And while we are here today, we draw some applications from Jairus. It would be foolish of me to simply convince you that you should be a good dad that you should be a good parent. Because here is the thing, while those things are important, being a good dad doesn't make you right with a holy God. It doesn't make you right with a holy God. So for today, we must remember that before we can come to Jesus for our families, we must come to Jesus for ourselves. This picture of Jairus coming to Jesus is a picture for us that represents a bigger reality. The fact that Jairus, as powerful as he is, Notice that there was something that he was powerless against. There was something that he nor anybody else there except for Jesus could overcome, and that was death. And whether you feel that today because you maybe look at your life and say, I've made a mess of things, or maybe you don't feel the reality of death in your life, there is a day coming when all of our ability will run out. All of our ability will run out. And the question for us, even as we look at that passage is, what are you planning to do about that day? What is your plan for that day? Are you going to ignore it and hope that maybe you can skirt by? You can pretend like it's not going to happen. Or this passage invites us to come to Jesus in humility for your only source of help, for your only source of hope. You see, we have more of the story than Jairus did. He was looking forward, hopeful that Jesus would be able to do something that he couldn't heal his little girl. But we look back and we see that Jesus has the power over death because he conquered it by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And today he offers that life to you to humbly come to him as your only hope. You see, it's only when we've come to Jesus in humility personally for salvation that we can see Jesus as the source of help for the rest of our lives, including but not limited to our families. I want you to notice something else here. Whenever Jairus comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, Jairus, get up, you sissy. Like, come on, man. Don't you see the people around here looking at you? They're seeing you here groveling at my feet. Get up and act like a man. No, that's not what Jesus does. Notice what Jesus does. Jairus says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. This brings us to the second truth that we see about leaving a legacy of life. And it's this, that as men, we must bring Jesus home intentionally. 
We must bring Jesus home intentionally. And this point is applicable to all parents, dads, moms. God has called us to be the primary disciple makers in our family. So every day, we have the opportunity to bring Jesus home intentionally. Whether it's in formal ways, like family worship, gathering around God's word together, whether it's in informal ways, like just relating everything to God and what God is doing in our lives. God calls us to be the ones who bring Jesus home. This principle isn't just found in the New Testament. It's found back in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine, where Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Guys, what a privilege this is. What a privilege it is to be the ones that God has entrusted the responsibility of sharing with our kids the wonderful works and life-transforming power of our great God. You know, as, as dads, I, I know how much we love to share with our kids. I know how much we love to teach them in their lives. And as I've become uh, more aware of this, as our kids get older, I learned that there are great opportunities to teach our kids. For example, our oldest son, Isaiah, is he's going through driver's ed and so some of you guys can just pray for us in that. But as, as he's doing that, I get to learn and help him learn how to drive appropriately. And we take him to a parking lot somewhere. Don't tell anybody. We take him to a parking lot somewhere and let him learn what to do in a safe and controlled environment so that whenever he gets on the road with you guys, everything's okay. Or our kids, Naomi and Silas, have a, a love for water sports, and they've really come to enjoy this. So this past week when we were in Charlotte, I had the opportunity to, to be in the water with them and encourage them as they, they get up on the wakeboard and do different things and, and learn how to do things that I grew up doing, like slalom skiing and being opportunities for them to be a part of such a great thing like that. Or our youngest son, Aaron. Aaron has just got a, a love for the game of baseball. He absolutely loves it. He could watch it from sunup to sundown every day, not be uh, tired of it. And then when the sun goes down, he could talk about it a little bit more. And so getting out in the yard with him and throwing and catching and letting him hit and pretend like he's the greatest baseball player in the world. You guys know how much excitement comes from seeing our kids loving to learn and to grow and to thrive. And as I think about this, I look over all these times that we get to spend with them doing all these great things and in the midst of this, I think, you know, I love doing these things and teaching them all these opportunities, but the question becomes, how much time am I spending in sharing the things that will ultimately bring them life? You know, as I thought about it, the reality is this, very few, if any of my kids and your kids will ever make it to the major leagues, MLB, NFL, NBA, most all of our kids won't make it there. But I can tell you with 100% confidence that every last one of them has a soul that will never die. And they're going to have to stand before the creator of the universe one day. The question is not what are we doing to prepare them for all the things that they could do here, but what are we preparing them for that day? 
How are we preparing our kids to stand before God and surrendered their life to him as Lord and Savior? You see, as I look across our world, it may not be physical death that our kids are fighting against, but every single day, they are on the brink of death. Our culture is pressing on them a view of life that leads to death. Whether it's on social media or entertainment, our culture is not pointing them to Christ. Our culture is not pointing them to life. We have been given the responsibility to go to Jesus on their behalf and to bring Jesus to them as their only hope. And while I might look at this and say, well, God, you're a pastor. You should be able to do this all the time, but I'm not perfect. I can't do this kind of thing because they see my failures and my flaws. They see that I'm not perfect. You see what we see even in this passage is it's not perfection that God desires. It's not perfection that our families need. It's consistency. Our kids are watching what we do and what we say. And while you might even think to yourself, well, it's not really that big of a deal what I do. I want to give you guys some, some information. They've done some statistics on this. According to studies, if fathers are not part of their children's lives and taking them to church, if there's just a mom in the home that is, is taking their children to church, only one in 50, only one in 50 kids will be regular worshipers when they grow up, if it's only mom that's involved. If, if dad is even remotely involved in their spiritual lives, between one half and two thirds of kids will be active in church later in life. Listen to this, which is just a phenomenal statistic. If it's only dad, if mom is not involved in church, if mom is not even present, but dad is intentional about taking children to church and being involved in their spiritual life, between two-thirds and three-quarters, 75% of those kids will be active worshipers when they grow to adulthood. And you might look around and say, wow, I did not realize the significant impact I have as a dad in my kid's life, 75%, if you are a regular attender with your kids, will be involved in worshiping when they grow up. Now, I don't want you to hear that and say, well, you said as long as I'm there part of the time, I got 50% chance of them being there. No, guys, I want you to see, man, my influence is so much more significant than I ever even imagined it was. And God has called us to be part of their lives. You see, we may not be able to bring our children to Jesus, but we can always bring Jesus to our children. We can always bring him to them, and this can make all the difference in the world in their lives. I want you to know, guys, that no matter where you are today, it's not too late to start. It's not too late to start bringing Jesus home intentionally. What I want you guys to do here, just real quickly, make a mental note, write this down, Jot it down, remember it, because what we're gonna do starting this Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we are starting a six-week men's study. This Wednesday night, starting at 6.30, a six-week men's study on how to grow as a godly man. We wanna equip men in knowing what it means to be a man that is thoroughly biblical in his worldview and in his application. So I want you guys to write that down. This coming Wednesday night, 6.30, here in our Family Life Center, six weeks to gather together. And if you're serious about growing as a godly man, as about being a man that's gonna be involved in your children's lives and influencing them for Christ, I wanna challenge you to be there for that six-week study. As we see this man coming to Jesus, pleading with Jesus, and Jesus going with him, 
We might think, wow, this is phenomenal. This is going to turn out great because he's going to get there before she dies. He's going to get there and Jesus is going to heal her right there at the bedside. She's going to be all ready to go. But here's the thing. Jesus has accumulated a great gathering already. And on the way, there's a significant stumbling block. Jesus gets slowed down on his way. And it's in that context, after he's ministered to a lady who had been seriously suffering for 12 years, that Jairus and those around him hear these chilling words. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can't even imagine the sinking, hopeless feeling that Jairus must have felt in that moment. In a moment, all the hope that he had for healing came crashing down. Maybe it wasn't just hopelessness. Maybe it was anger. Jesus, if you hadn't stopped, we would have made it. Jesus, if you hadn't stopped to heal that lady, my little girl would be okay right now because I know that you could have fixed it if we got there in time. I didn't leave and go find another healer. I came to you for help, and now she's gone. But it's in the midst of this, this storm that we see in Jairus' life that we learn a third truth from Jairus in leaving a legacy of life. We must stay with Jesus through the struggle. We must stay with Jesus through the struggle. You see, the comments that the people who came from his house point us to, they believe Jesus' services were no longer needed. Fixing sick people, you can do. But dead people, no. There's no way that Jesus can fix this. But notice what Jesus says to everyone. But overhearing this, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Serves as a word of encouragement to Jairus. And it's not just believe in a general sense, like believe something good's gonna happen. But it's believe in a, in a particular sense. Believe in me, trust in me in the midst of this. And oftentimes we think that we can trust Jesus for things that he can handle. But what Jesus wants us to see here is this. He wants us to see that we don't just trust him for the things we think he can trust him for, but for the things he tells us we can trust him for. Not just the things that we can look in our mind and say, I can probably trust Jesus for that. But for us to be able to see there are things that he tells us we can trust him for. And those are the things we must come to him in. And I want you to know, brothers, that the first lesson in this passage may be difficult for us to come to Jesus in humility, to bring him home intentionally. But this one may be the most difficult. But this is the one that our families need to see in us. That when things get hard, when things get tough, that we don't run from Jesus, but we stay near to him. The reality is that we want things to be fixed, don't we, men? Or we want things to be fixed. Just think about your conversations with your wife. I know some of you are thinking about right now on the most recent one that you had that you tried to fix something. How many times have you listened to what she said? And the first thing that came out of your mouth 
was how she could fix the problem. She tells you a long story about something going on. You say, well, if it was me, this is what I would do. And you give her A, B, C, and D as to how she should fix the problem, and it doesn't go well for you. You think, wow, she should just be overwhelmed at my wisdom and problem-solving ability. But you know that's just not how it goes. 17 years in, and I'm finally beginning to learn this. Whenever we have a conversation, I say, dear, is this a fix-it conversation or is this a listen conversation? And she tells which one it is, and then we go on the route the right way to go. But guys, our tendency is to want results, isn't it? We want to be, here's the problem, here's the solution, let's get it done. But Jesus' plan isn't always to provide quick results. His plan is always to provide a context for faith and obedience in our lives. And we see this in Jairus' life in two particular ways. The first way we see this is, is that he stayed with Jesus in the midst of loss. He stayed in the midst of loss. Verse 37 says this, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. She was dead. Jairus's faith is shown in his obedience to keep bringing Jesus home. Even in that context where, where everybody said, no, it's, it's, it's hopeless and pointless. Jesus said, don't fear, only believe. Jairus did and continued on with Jesus. He could have said, you know, Jesus, they're right. They're right, Jesus. Nobody can undo this one. There was hope whenever she was sick, but now it's not. But he didn't do that. His faith, the same faith that brought him to Jesus, kept him with Jesus. And brothers, that's an encouragement for us today. Some of you have children who are walking in a dangerous path, and you've prayed unceasingly for them. And yet you, they still seem to be going their own way. And this is a word of encouragement for you today to keep on going, to keep staying with Jesus in the midst of that struggle. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing with them. Some of you dads here today may feel like you have made such a mess of things. There's no way that you could be of any use. Jesus says to us, don't fear, only believe. Trust that I can restore things that seem beyond hope, beyond help, and begin walking in obedience today, not waiting to, for yourself to be able to fix things, but walk in obedience and trust me. Not only did he stay in the midst of loss, we see that Jesus also stayed in the face, or that Jairus also stayed in the face of ridicule. He stayed in the face of ridicule. Notice what verse 38 says. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now we know that, that the whole community recognized that she was actually dead because the scene gives us insight into that. Jewish families hired professional mourners when death occurred. They would call a group of people together that would come and mourn professionally for their family. It's even said that even the poorest in Israel should not hire less than two flute players and one wailing woman. <laughs> so it was tradition for them to weep, wail, weep and wail loudly in the midst and the wake of death. The presence of these mourners give us indication that she was actually dead. They wouldn't have been here had she not been actually dead, but it's in the midst of this scene that Jesus speaks words that seem not only insensitive to our ears, 
but they also seem insane. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. You know, in all the years of pastoral ministry that I can think back on, I've never once, in the times where I've been with families in the wake of a loved one passing, I've never once even considered asking the question, why are you sad? It's never a question that would come to mind. It's only Jesus that can ask this kind of question because Jesus knows something that they don't know. It's this, death is as fixable for Jesus as waking someone from sleep is for us. And it may even be easier for Jesus because the reality is this, teenagers are almost impossible to wake up. (laughs) And even though they laughed at Jesus, Jairus must have felt the weight of that. It It was Jairus who went and got him. It was Jairus who stayed with him And yet in the face of this ridicule and face of the laughter, he stayed with Jesus. And and you know, things aren't that much different today. Our culture laughs at men who stand on conviction. It laughs at men who follow through uh, when things seem impossible. And the question for us is, what, what what do our kids see in us? Do they see us willing to stand in the face of a culture that is pressing on them a version of life that is not true, that they see us standing and sacrificing for the kingdom of Christ and for them. A man who stands against the influences and pressures of the culture to promote godliness in their home and in the community. This is what part of Jairus' story reminds us and encourages us toward. And as the story progresses, we get to see the glorious outcome. As Jairus has walked by faith. We get to see that Jairus gets to celebrate a legacy of life. He gets to celebrate a legacy of life. Notice what happens in verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Can you imagine what must have been going through Jairus's mind when Jesus started talking to the little girl? We know that he had faith that Jesus could do it. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have been there. But maybe his faith was like a mustard seed. Or maybe his faith was like the the dad in Mark 9 who said, I believe, help my unbelief. Either way, we know that he had some faith. We also know that there was some questioning because we see at the end of this that he was utterly amazed at God's work. So there he must have been holding his breath. Maybe he could hear his own heartbeat. Maybe it was, you've had that experience before where you're just on pins and needles on the edge of your seat waiting and wondering what's going to happen until he saw her little torso begin to rise and fall. And she breathed in the breath of life, her eyes opening wide to see the light of the world before her, standing up, walking. 
But here's the truth for us. We see that had Jairus not gone to Jesus, had Jairus not brought Jesus home, had Jairus not stayed with Jesus, there would have been no verses 41 and 42. There would have been no hope. There would have been no life. There would have been no celebration. And for us, I'm not saying that if you do these things like a, a, a manual, that somehow there's going to be this great work in your kids' lives. But, but what we're saying is this. If you aren't doing any of these things, if you're not pursuing Christ in these ways, how can we expect to see anything different than we're already getting? See, I believe that all too often we want to see the power of God in our families without pursuing his presence in our lives. And Jairus' story is teaching us that they go together. God's power and his presence is what God is calling us to today. And I love how this story ends. I love how this story ends. While Jesus tells them that they shouldn't go out and tell anybody, we note from Matthew's account this statement. And the report of this went throughout all that district. Of course it did. How could it not go out throughout the whole district? As soon as that little girl stepped out of her house, as soon as those mourners stopped crying, as soon as the people were standing in awe of the work of Christ, this little girl walks down the street, a new lease on life, a new opportunity to honor the Lord. As she grows into an adult, as she has children of her own, as she relates how God had done a great work of transformation in her life. You can imagine one old man sitting there watching her walk down the street, talk to another old man and saying, you know, look, look at that little, look at that girl. You remember how Jesus healed her. The other man says, yes, I do remember that. But do you remember that Jairus went to get him? Do you remember that Jairus is the one that brought him home? Do you remember that Jairus is the one that stayed with him? And do you remember that Jairus is the one that gets to celebrate her life? Men, the challenge for us today is to do the things that God has called us to be responsible for and to trust the results to God. For some of you, that begins with a relationship with Christ. So he lived a perfect life that you couldn't have lived. He died in your place, taking the death that you deserved as a sacrifice. He rose again on the third day, conquering sin, death, and the wrath of God in your place. And today he bids you to come to him in humility as your only hope. There may be some of you here today that need to recalibrate what you've been doing in your life as a dad, investing your time in, and to begin leading your family in a way that God has called you to. For others, you may be here, and this is just an encouraging reminder that you're, you're continuing to stay with Jesus, maybe in the midst of a struggle, and Jesus is saying to you, don't fear, only believe. Keep following me in the midst of this, and I am with you. Keep pursuing him and trusting him with the outcome. I know that today all these things may be a reality for us. And so what I want to invite you to do this morning as we conclude our service together, I'll be down here in the front. If the Lord has challenged you in any of these ways. I'd love to, to talk with you, to encourage you, and to be able to point you in the right direction for the next step that God has designed for you in leaving a legacy of life. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Jairus, that you gave us a picture of what it means to leave a legacy of life uh, through him. We pray that you would help us today, strengthen us today on this Father's Day uh, to bring you great glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.